This People's Pharmacy podcast is brought to you in part by Valisure, the pharmacy that checks. Approximately 80% of all drugs are produced in factories in China and India. Valisure is the first and only online pharmacy that chemically analyzes every batch of every medication it sells at no additional cost to consumers. When you order online from Valisure.com, you receive medicine that Valisure has tested in their own analytical laboratory, shipped right to your door. And each medication or supplement from Valisure arrives with its own certificate of analysis, so you'll know you are getting the medicine your doctor ordered. Become a Valisure customer and receive no-charge shipping on your first order with the discount code PEOPLE. That's P-E-O-P-L-E, all uppercase, people, for no-charge shipping. Remember to visit Valisure.com, the pharmacy that checks. The coronavirus is still very much with us. Are there any things we can do to improve how our immune systems respond? This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. Many people assume that their immune systems don't change from day to day or month to month. In fact, however, our immune systems are constantly adjusting to conditions. Is there any way to enhance immune function? Vitamins, minerals, dietary supplements, and herbs may be surprisingly important. Dr. Tironi Lodog is one of the country's leading experts on the evidence that supports such interventions. Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, find out how to keep your immune system healthy. In The People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, two malaria drugs that have been proposed for use against COVID-19, are no longer covered by FDA's emergency use authorization. The agency said that recent studies suggest these medicines are unlikely to be effective and that they may put patients at risk. Specifically, the medications can trigger heart rhythm disturbances in susceptible individuals. The FDA data review turned up more than 100 cases of heart problems among coronavirus patients on the drugs. One-fourth of those were fatal. Doctors have always been able to prescribe these drugs as they deem appropriate. The FDA's change in authorization does not revoke that ability. Any physician who believes that hydroxychloroquine would be helpful has the right to prescribe it. Randomized clinical trials already underway will continue and provide further information about the benefits and risks of these medications. Investigators in the UK generated a lot of excitement this week when they announced results of treating COVID-19 patients on ventilators with the corticosteroid dexamethasone. Over 2,000 patients received this inexpensive anti-inflammatory drug in addition to usual care. More than 4,000 received usual care alone. Patients on ventilators who got the steroid were one-third less likely to die. The investigators hypothesized that this powerful anti-inflammatory drug prevents an overactive immune system from triggering cytokine storm. People who did not need respiratory support, however, did not benefit from dexamethasone. 
The full study has not yet been published, and many experts are cautious about the initial enthusiasm. They point out that steroids, like dexamethasone, can suppress the immune response. Although it may calm the cytokine storm, it might also interfere with the body's ability to fight off the virus. Should people be concerned about catching COVID-19 while using the bathroom? The virus can be found in the digestive tract. Flushing the toilet can aerosolize viral particles into a toilet plume. Researchers created computer models that indicate tiny droplets can rise into the air about a yard above the toilet. To minimize the chance of spreading viral particles into the air, the authors recommend closing the lid before flushing and then washing your hands carefully. Public restrooms without toilet lids theoretically pose more of a risk. Such precautions may be unnecessary, according to the CDC. This public health organization says there are no confirmed reports of toilet flushing leading to COVID-19 transmission. On the other hand, determining how any given individual catches the disease is an enormous challenge. We've heard for years that eating a well-balanced diet will have positive health benefits. Now, data from more than 200,000 health professionals over three decades demonstrate that following healthy eating patterns can help prevent heart disease. Every few years, the volunteers filled out extensive dietary questionnaires and filled in surveys about their health. To analyze this, the researchers used several different previously validated ways of scoring healthy eating patterns. People who scored higher on the Healthy Eating Index, the Adapted Mediterranean Diet Score, the Healthy Plant-Based Diet Index, or the Alternative Healthy Eating Index were almost 20% less likely to suffer a heart attack or a stroke. The scientists conclude, our findings provide support for the recommendations of the current dietary guidelines for Americans that it's not necessary to conform to a single dietary plan to achieve healthy eating. Is eating late a problem? 20 volunteers ate dinner at either 6 or 10 p.m. before going to bed at 11. At a later date, they got the same meal at the different time. Both times, the scientists collected information on blood glucose, insulin, triglycerides, free fatty acids, cortisol, fat burning, and sleep. Eating late was associated with higher peak blood glucose levels, less fat burning, and more cortisol in the bloodstream overnight. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. COVID-19 remains a worldwide threat. Some states have seen cases decline, but they're still rising elsewhere. Many people would like to know how to keep their immune systems functioning at an optimal level. To learn more about that, we turn to one of our favorite guests at the People's Pharmacy. Dr. Tarone Lodog is an internationally recognized expert in the fields of integrative medicine, dietary supplements, herbal medicine, and women's health. Her latest book is Fortify Your Life, Your Guide to Vitamins, Minerals, and More. Welcome back to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Tarone Lodog. 
Thank you. It's a delight to be back with you. Dr. Lodog, you've actually had what we suspect is some experience, some personal experience with COVID-19. Can you tell us how that happened and how you made out? Uh, sure. Now, I don't know for sure that I had it, but uh, my husband and I had gone to China in December, and we were in three different parts of China at very large uh, scientific conferences, uh, including major contingents from Wuhan. And uh, while we were there, towards the very end of the trip, I began to feel um, just kind of a malaise, started to develop a, a cough. I came home and within a day or so of getting home, uh, felt very ill, um, developed a fever. Uh, my cough went deep into my chest. I did develop a pneumonia and I was sick for probably a good nine or 10 days. Uh, I, I, you know, I didn't take any antibiotics. I, I figured I had the flu because it was flu season and, and that, you know, this is what I had, but it really knocked me back. I was, I was pretty sick. And then just shortly after that, a couple of weeks, we began to hear about uh, the coronavirus. We began to hear about COVID and what was going on in China. And my husband was one that said, oh my gosh, listen to, listen to all of that. It's like exactly what you had. And of course, not long after that in March, um, our daughter actually got the coronavirus and and she was quite sick um, for a period of, of many weeks. So uh, we've had some personal family experience with it, as well as dealing with, you know, patients and, and uh, you know, just being part of the larger community. But yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting how I was with my husband and he never even got anything, right? We were together the whole time. And then our daughter, who has some underlying asthma, it really hit her hard, but her a partner and her roommate never got sick. So just again, this kind of interest of, of kind of who gets it, maybe underlying conditions, how, how sick people get and, and how many people may get it, and not manifest any symptoms. Well, that's exactly what we want to ask you about is, do we have any idea why some people seem to do pretty well? And others, you know, there's that 20% that get really, really sick and may need to be hospitalized. Well, I don't think all the data is completely in right now, but I would say that um, we know that certain populations are more vulnerable. And that may be also because they either have underlying health conditions, which impact their immune system, uh, they're older. Uh, many of the people here in New Mexico that have died, I mean, a, a great number were in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. Our Native community also got particularly hard hit. So there may be, there may be other things at play as far as access, you know, underlying diabetes, et cetera. But when we come back to it, uh, a lot of the things that we look at are, are you know, <sighs> If there's 100 people in a room and somebody walks by with the flu or COVID, why do a certain number of people get sick and others not? And I think that's always this really interesting question. And, I, and while we don't know all the answers, I think it comes back in many cases to how rapid is our rapid response team inside of our body? Uh, how well rested are we? 
Um, what is our you know, body weight? How much inflammation do we have underlying in our body as a baseline? Um, so do we come in at our fighting best or you know, have we been two weeks without getting enough sleep? Or has our diet been atrocious because of our work? So I, I think that that we're going to find more as we go. But I think that many things that we have long thought about infectious disease are going to hold true. People who live in poorer areas that may have access to less nourishing food, people who have less access to good medical care, older populations. This time, children were not as severely impacted as they are sometimes with the flu. Um, influenza, as you know, uh, just a couple years ago, our flu, we had 185 confirmed pediatric deaths from influenza. So this one seemed to be more sparing for young children. And I think it'll take a little bit of time for us to work through all of that. But having the core essentials, the things we've always believed were important about eating well, getting reg regular exercise, getting adequate sleep, managing our stress, all of these things remain true and are still some of your best defenses for, you know, not getting sick from anything, bacteria, viral or otherwise. You know, Dr. Lodog, we've heard so much about the immune system ever, ever since COVID-19. I mean, pe people talk about the cytokine storm now and they'd never heard of such a thing, you know, six months ago. But there's also a tremendous interest in things like helper cells and killer cells and T cells. And people are all of a sudden very interested in what they can do to have an optimal immune response. So perhaps you can help us understand what nutrients, first of all, are important and especially if we could start with vitamin D, because we understand that a lot of people are now deficient in vitamin D, largely because they don't get very much from their diet, but also because they're slathering on the sunscreen. They've been told by their doctor, don't go out in the sun. It's dangerous. It's going to cause skin cancer. So if people are deficient in vitamin D, why would that be important, especially when it comes to the coronavirus? Well, so, you know, vitamin D and sun and cod liver oil um, have fascinated me for a long time because I live in the Southwest. So if you remember back when people were getting a lot of tuberculosis, where did they go? They went to dry, sunny places. And uh, we have sanitariums here in New Mexico. We have them in, in Phoenix and over in Arizona. And so for a long time, people realized that things like cod liver oil and sun could be beneficial for infections. Now, tuberculosis is a bacterial infection, but we do know that um, vitamin D is really, really important for maintaining your barrier function. And it, when it's activated, so when you've activated the vitamin D in your body, it triggers something called antimicrobial peptides. Now, that is a fancy word for basically saying that these are these are these um, peptides that help protect the body, particularly the lungs, right? So there's a reason that vitamin D um, is so important for us and for respiratory health. Some of the interesting things that we're noting with the coronavirus more specifically is that um, when we look at individuals who got sick with coronavirus, those who had the lowest vitamin D seem to have the poorest outcome and they also seem to get more sick. And, and, you know, it may influence the severity of, of your sickness if you get COVID-19. In general, we know, though, that if you're getting adequate vitamin D, 
there was a, a study that came out in the British Medical Journal a couple of years ago that showed that um, you could dramatically reduce respiratory infections um, by getting adequate amounts of vitamin D. So for every four people you treat with a thousand units of vitamin D, you can prevent one respiratory infection if they're if they're deficient. So I'm a huge fan of vitamin D, and I tell everybody basically they should up theirs. You know, somewhere between two to four thousand units a day during the cold and flu season um, in general. And and I think this is particularly important for older people uh, who tend to be in side more often, they don't go out. And it's also harder for them to activate their vitamin D because of, of kidney function. So vitamin D we've known for a long time, its importance uh, for overall health, but particularly for lung and respiratory health. And what form of vitamin D should somebody be taking? So, you know, vitamin D3, it comes in kind of two forms, vitamin D2 and vitamin D3. Vitamin D3 is the more um, usable active form of vitamin D, and that is is what's recommended. Um, and remember to take your vitamin D with dinner or your meal that has the most fat. Dinner tends to be a more fatty meal, and a study was done a number of years ago that showed that you increased your absorption and raised your levels about 50% faster when people took their vitamin D with dinner than with breakfast. So make sure you're getting your vitamin D uh, three, uh, take it uh, in the evening. And if possible, if your healthcare provider would um, take the test or you order your own test online uh, to get your vitamin D levels, that's probably the best way. We know that when your levels are around 40 nanograms per mil, that it uh, definitely is associated with reducing your risk for respiratory infection. So, you know, this is one of those, I wonder, is this going to become a mainstay? Before the cold and flu season starts, are we going to be measuring people's vitamin D, like in October, and trying to really get them to that level to make sure that we give them the most protection, even if they do get sick, to reduce how sick they get and to prevent people from dying from uh, respiratory infections. So that could be a very interesting policy change. While we're looking at vaccines and treatments, what about the front end? Are there, are there nutrients we could use that could actually give you greater resistance and reduce your risk of getting as sick or sick at all from flu or COVID? You're listening to Dr. Tironi Lodog an internationally recognized expert in the fields of integrative medicine, dietary supplements, herbal medicine, and women's health. She has served as the elected chair of the U.S. Pharmacopeia Dietary Supplements and Botanicals Expert Information Panel. Her latest book is Fortify Your Life, Your Guide to Vitamins, Minerals, and More. You can learn more at her website, drlowdog.com. After the break, should you spend any time outside without sunscreen to boost your vitamin D level? Does zinc play a role in bolstering the immune system? There are some medicines that deplete the body of zinc. Might you be taking one of them? You'll also learn about other nutrients that affect immune function. We'll find out which foods might help strengthen your immune system. What about mushrooms? You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy podcast is supported in part by Cocovia. 
Cocovia cocoflavanols support both cardiovascular health and cognitive function by promoting healthy blood flow. That transports oxygen and nutrients to vital organs and muscles, including your heart and brain. Cocovia now comes in an even more concentrated formula with 450 milligrams of cocoflavanols, five times more than the leading dark chocolate bar, and 15 times more than the leading cocoa powder. Cocovia has a proprietary process that preserves cocoflavanols at the highest levels. The product undergoes rigorous testing at every stage to guarantee the highest level of cocoflavanols per serving and to provide the purest, highest quality product possible. People's Pharmacy listeners can now try Cocovia for 25% off by using the code PEOPLES25 at cocovia.com. Com. This People's Pharmacy podcast is brought to you in part by Verizona.com. Verizona Lab offers home health tests that allow you to monitor your hormones and health conditions. You can take control of the quantitative assessment of your health and learn about male and female hormone balance, the stress hormone cortisol, leaky gut, gluten intolerance, or your gut microbiome. Take a more active role in tracking your health and take 20% off your first order of a mail-in testing opportunity with the discount code PEOPLE. That's P-E-O-P-L-E, all uppercase. To learn more, go to Verizana.com. That's V-E-R-I-S-A-N-A.com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Kaya Biotics, probiotic products made in Germany from certified organic ingredients. K-A-Y-A-Biotics.com. And by Cocovia, maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com. Today, our topic is maintaining a healthy immune system to better cope with the risks of the coronavirus. Our guest, Dr. Tyrone Lodog, is an internationally recognized expert in the fields of integrative medicine, dietary supplements, herbal medicine, and women's health. Her latest book is Fortify Your Life, your guide to vitamins, minerals, and more. You can learn more at her website, drlodog.com. Dr. Lodog, we've been talking about the value of vitamin D for our immune systems. And I'm wondering, sure, for people who have had skin cancer or for people who just can't go outside for whatever reason, yeah, supplements, of course, vitamin D3, two to 4,000 units. But what about the sun? Because we become so scared of the sun, it's going to give us skin cancer, it's going to cause wrinkling. Is there a place for a little bit of time outside without sunscreen? Absolutely. And you know, the fact that there is so little vitamin D in food, right? It's hard to get lots of vitamin D in food. The body was intended to get it from the sun. And it's always curious when you look at the studies in people who have uh, who don't supplement but have adequate vitamin D levels because they are getting it from the sun. 
uh, and you compare that to supplement trials, the people who have gotten it naturally through sunlight uh, seem to fare better. So it's one of those things is like, is there something else happening when we're getting our vitamin D from the sun than when we're getting it from supplements? I will say though, that knowing your vitamin D level, if you are deficient, I tell patients, I'd love for you to get out, you know, 20 minutes, you know, arms and and legs exposed in the summer, not during the peak of the sun between 10 and 2, but to get out there for 20, 30 minutes and and just walk around, walk the dog. Uh, We don't want people getting sunburned, but I think we've gone a little overboard with the concern around um, sun exposure myself. Dr. Lodog, I wonder what other nutrients are important for our immune systems. And in particular, could we start with zinc? Sure. Well, zinc is a big one because, you know, especially in developing countries where uh, zinc deficiency is more common, we know that it contributes, just deficiency of zinc contributes to about 800,000 deaths from diarrhea and pneumonia. In many other more developed nations, the zinc deficiency is more common in older people. But I will just start by saying one of the problems with knowing if you're somebody who needs more zinc or not is the fact that we don't have really good laboratory testing. And so it's not, it's not as easy to determine who may need zinc versus who doesn't. There have been a lot of studies, though, that show that people who are zinc deficient or in somebody who's older like an elder person in a nursing home, that if you give them zinc supplementation, it does uh, reduce the number of respiratory infections or pneumonias that occur. So I am a, a fan of zinc, especially in older people and for acute use, right? For acute use in somebody who's getting a cold. But zinc is really important. It reduces viral attachment, replication. It's, you know, it's involved in both parts of the immune system, the innate, which is, you know, the, the little macrophages and natural killer cells, as well as the adaptive uh, part of our immunity, which is the, you know, your antibodies, your B cells and your T cells. So it, it is really important. The problem with zinc, though, is that um, too much zinc is harmful. So you kind of got to find the sweet spot. And, and so for most of my patients, I tell them, uh, you know, what you're going to find in a multivitamin, 20 milligrams or so is, is probably adequate. Though I will say for many of my older patients, including my own parents, I recommended 30 um, to 40 milligrams of zinc, but they were in their eighties. And uh, I do think it's, we know that Zinc deficiency may be part of what happens as you age and your immune system becomes less and less effective. This may be part of what we call the immunosenescence that happens with age. So I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of zinc. Just don't overdo it. I have one addendum to what you've just said, and that is there's this amazing book. I think it's called Ah, yes. Fortify Your Life by Dr. Lodog, in which you discuss medications that can deplete the body of zinc. And there are tens of millions of Americans and people all around the world taking what we call diuretics, especially the thiazide diuretics and ACE inhibitors, drugs like lisinopril. And both categories of blood pressure pills can deplete the body of zinc. And as you said, very few people actually get a zinc test. And if they do, it may not be as accurate as we like. So there may be a lot of people who are zinc deficient, not because they're inadequate 
with regard to their diet, but just because they're taking medications. Absolutely. And I would also just say, so people with hypertension, um, you know, this is where we use the diuretics and ACE inhibitors uh, predominantly. Uh, they are at more risk for zinc deficiency. And sometimes when they come in, uh, if they're on these medications, I ask them, have you noticed any change in your sense of taste or smell? Because actually that is a fairly good indicator. And do you know how many older people who are on these drugs, one of their problems is they lose their sense of taste and smell, which is food doesn't taste as good. So zinc is important across the lifespan. It's critically important in developing nations to protect young children from dying. And in our country, I would say it's critically important for people who are older uh, to ensure that they're getting adequate zinc uh, to maintain a healthy immune response. Dr. Lodog, if an older person does notice that they are losing their sense of taste or smell, aside from COVID-19, which can do that as an early symptom of infection, does taking zinc help reverse that problem? So there was a review looking at uh, zinc for taste loss, loss of taste and smell, that actually said that there was moderate evidence that uh, zinc, a, a trial of zinc uh, should be used because it may actually help correct this. So um, that was a Cochrane review that came out a number of years ago. And so uh, when I work with the dentist, because often the dentists are the professionals that people go to and say, gosh, doc, seems like I don't taste things as well as I used to. I show them that the results of that study, because for an idiopathic taste disorder where you're not really sure where it's coming from, a trial of zinc is a very reasonable you know, 90 days of taking a zinc supplement. It's very reasonable to see if it helps. Great. Now, can you tell us about any other nutrients, perhaps vitamins that have a big impact on our immune system? Well, there are many. And, you know, you made, you just said something, you said the immune system. And so there's many parts of the immune system uh, at play. And so your B vitamins, things like folate or B6, B12, all of these are needed for you to make, make your white blood cells, right? So the, you know, red blood cells, white blood cells, white blood cells um, working in the immune system. So you need all of those B vitamins uh, together. And we know that many people over 50 are low in B12. And we know that 30 million Americans are low in B6, and those are mostly women, especially those taking birth control pills. So, you know, all of these Bs are important, and we don't think about them generally for immunity, but I just wanted to mention them. Ones that we do know are like vitamin A, C, and E. Um, you know, everybody knows vitamin C, the, you know, that Linus Pauling made very famous. But, you know, vitamin C is another one of those that helps maintain barrier function, right? And if you think about, if you think about vitamin E and A and C, all of them support your barriers. And, and for me, a lot of health comes down to maintaining barrier function in the lungs, in the mouth, the nose, the gut. And so all of these vitamins are important for keeping these physical barriers working at their best. Vitamin A um, maintains the barriers of the respiratory and GI tract, but uh, very important for overall immune health. And we know that a significant number of Americans do not get enough vitamin A. And when we went through medical school, even a long time ago, we learned about uh, children in other countries where measles were endemic. 
that when when you gave vitamin A, you could reduce measles morbidity and mortality by up to 50%. So vitamin A, really crucial for immune health. Vitamin C, um, you know, lots and lots of research showing that it helps you know, helps us from getting sick from both bacteria and viruses, but also it makes us makes it get shorter if we do get sick. So I, I'm a firm believer most of us need more vitamin C than what the recommended daily intake is. Most of my patients, I want them getting two to 400 milligrams per day and increasing that if they get sick. So vitamin C is another big one. Dr. Dr. Lodog, I'd like to interrupt for a sec on the vitamin C issue because I think a lot of your colleagues have assumed, oh, everybody gets plenty of vitamin C. You don't need to take any more um, or maybe just a little bit in a multivitamin if you even need that. And yet, if you look at the latest NHANES, and you can tell us what NHANES stands for, the latest survey of uh, Americans, it turns out that 46%, nearly half of us are low, have inadequate levels of vitamin C. So, so people may not be getting as much vitamin C from their diet as they think they are. Well, absolutely. And I think there's a number of reasons for this. One is that um, even our food is not as rich in vitamin C as it used to be. You know, an orange from the 1950s compared to an orange in 2020 uh, the, that orange in the 1950s had a whole lot more vitamin C than than our current oranges. So change in agricultural practices has done that. But also people don't eat many raw vegetables in the, and fruits. They, they like to boil them, steam them, cook them. So you lose a lot of the vitamin C. But the other thing I would say is, um, is this just a food issue or is this also a stress issue? Vitamin C is used to make the catecholamines or the, you know, things like adrenaline, you know, epinephrine, norepinephrine, these chemicals in the body, these hormones that are associated with stress and you store a lot of vitamin C in your adrenal glands. So is it a combination, which is my hypothesis that one, we don't get enough in our diet because people don't eat enough fresh fruits and vegetables. And is the other part of it that a lot of people are under a lot of stress and that they're kind of chewing through their vitamin C at a much greater rate. Um, and so I, I think it's both um, that, and that people need more vitamin C. And, you know, don't take huge quantities of it uh, if you're not sick. Uh, you're, it it kind of goes down how much you can absorb. It, it's kind of a diminishing return. So, you know, if you take 500 milligrams, that's okay. You're not going to absorb all of it, but the rest will just be excreted. But the best way to take vitamin C is in smaller, more frequent doses. Um, you know, I tell my patients, take 100 milligrams a couple times a day instead of 1,000 once a day. Now, if you were trying to get vitamin C from your food, what foods would they be? All your citrus fruits are really high and all, all of your fruits in general, um, but also most of your green veggies and, uh, you know, are good sources of vitamin C. So this is why I said, you get it from fruits and vegetables predominantly. And this is, we live in a nation where, you know, it's a lot easier and cheaper to buy a donut than it is to buy a, a, an apple. So citrus fruits and, um, chili peppers, strawberries, broccoli, you know, you can also get it in sardines and liver, but most people don't eat those. <laughs> so, What about other foods we should be eating to keep our immune systems healthy? 
Well, definitely you need, um, for like your vitamin E, you want to make sure that you're getting, you know, like seeds, seeds and nuts. These are important almonds, sunflower seeds. Vitamin E is another one that is important for our immune systems. And we know that, that people who get adequate amounts of vitamin E, it decreases your risk of viral infections. And vitamin E can be a little tricky to get in food. You get it in vegetable oils and, you know, olive oil, um, almonds, sunflower seeds. So make sure you're getting adequate amounts of those. You know, you'll want to also make sure that you're getting a good amount of all of your rainbow colors of fruits and vegetables. And this is what I, I, I said earlier, when you go back and you start looking that Americans, if you take out potatoes, French fries, and potato chips, which are counted as a vegetable, when you take those out, Americans actually are very poor consumers of of fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, and those are some of the most important things you're going to find for immune health. And then uh, adequate amounts of protein, uh, whatever protein you like. Um, so if you like fish and eggs, that's great. Um, if you're a vegetarian, just make sure that you're getting adequate amounts of um, protein from your dairy and eggs. Uh, and if you're a vegan, pay particular close to your protein. Make sure that you're getting adequate amounts of complete proteins. Dr. Lodog, what about mushrooms? We've heard that mushrooms can help strengthen immunity. Is that true? Yes, actually. It depends upon the type of mushroom, but many of the medicinal mushrooms that your listeners are probably familiar with, things like reishi, cordyceps, maitake, turkey tail, these are pretty well established at being highly adept at immune modulation, meaning that they they help our you know, T cells and our natural killer cells. They increase the number of, uh, of your circulating B cells. They also help, they help enhance your gut immunity, right? 80% of your immune system lies in and around the gut. And so mushrooms have also been shown to, to be beneficial in this way. And one of the chief reasons they're so adept at uh, helping our immune system is they contain a group of polysaccharides called beta-glucans. And beta-glucans are found in mushrooms and yeast, like baker's yeast, um, but they're also found in oats and barley and, and, and some other uh, types of grains and plants. But I would say that the data for baker's yeast and mushrooms for being able to enhance your immune system has been well established, very well established. And uh, I encourage people during the cold and flu season to, you know, to take mushrooms, to, to get you a mushroom blend. There's a number of them in the marketplace, but uh, they, can, they can help your body defend itself against viral infections. And if you do get sick, they can decrease the cold and flu symptoms. So um, I like it. There was even a study that was done a couple years ago in children, little kids, three to five years of age, they took 350 milligrams of beta-glucans from reishi and they put it in yogurt. And then they gave the other kids just the yogurt. And what they found was that uh, the kids who got the beta-glucans in their yogurt, that it definitely increased their innate and adaptive immune cells in their in their blood. So it, it literally, you could measure how much uh, better their immune response was than the kids just taking the yogurt. So I'm, I'm pretty sold on mushrooms and there's a number of really good blended products that have reishi and, you know, cordyceps and 
maitake in them. But I would definitely think of those during the cold and flu season. You're listening to Dr. Tarone Lodog, an expert in the fields of integrative medicine, dietary supplements, herbal medicine, and women's health. She was appointed to the Scientific Advisory Council for the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. Her latest book is Fortify Your Life, your guide to vitamins, minerals, and more. After the break, find out what role the microbiome plays in the immune system. Do probiotics make a difference? Dr. Lodog will tell us about the herbs she recommends for immune system optimization. Find out about andrographis, ashwagandha, garlic, licorice, and elderberry. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy podcast is sponsored in part by Kaya Biotics. K-A-Y-A Biotics offers the first probiotics, which are both certified organic and hypoallergenic. All probiotics are produced in Germany under laboratory conditions with high-quality ingredients and under strict regulatory oversight. The three available formulas are created for very specific purposes, such as strengthening the immune system, fighting yeast infections, and helping with weight loss. To learn more about Kaya Biotics probiotics and the important topic of gut health, you can visit their website, kayabiotics.com. That's K-A-Y-A biotics.com. Use the discount code PEOPLE for $10 off your first purchase. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Verizana an analytical laboratory providing home health tests for hormones, gut health, and the microbiome. Online at V-E-R-I-S-A-N-A dot com. And by Cocovia, maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com. The coronavirus is still spreading throughout our communities. What should you do to make sure your immune system can meet the challenge? Dr. Tirone Lodog is an internationally recognized expert in the fields of integrative medicine, dietary supplements, herbal medicine, and women's health. She has served as the elected chair of the U.S. Pharmacopeia Dietary Supplements and Botanicals Expert Information Panel. Dr. Lodog was appointed to the Scientific Advisory Council for the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. Her latest book is Fortify Your Life, Your Guide to Vitamins, Minerals, and More. You can learn more at her website, drlodog.com. Dr. Lodog, you, you mentioned the microbiome and in essence, you know, the gut and, and how important it is for immune function. And you just mentioned probiotics and a lot of, well, you didn't say probiotics specifically, you said yogurt, but oftentimes live cultures have indeed probiotics in them. So I'm kind of curious, what about that balance of good bacteria in our digestive tracts? How important is that? 
Well, I think it's critically important. You know, as I mentioned, 80% of the body's immune system is located within or alongside the GI tract. That's called the GALT, the gut-associated lymphoid tissue. And we know that the microbiome, the bacteria and viruses, other things inside of our gut, the microbiota, acts almost like a signaling hub. So it's taking everything that we're getting from our diet and our genes and our immune signals, you know, and and it's feeding that to our immune system. And so our immune system is constantly in communication, cross-talking with our microbiota. And so for me, the data is quite compelling, actually, when you look at probiotics, particular strains of probiotics and their ability to reduce upper respiratory tract infections in adults and in children. Also, but, you know, we're talking about respiratory here, but also for diarrhea, for, you know, rotavirus diarrhea in kids. I, I think you'd have to have been sleeping the last 10 years if you were a healthcare professional and you don't think that there's data supporting the use of probiotics, particular strains for immune health. Brilliant review in the British Medical Journal in 2018. Valdez was the lead author on that. And they summarized, it was a systematic review looking at the role of probiotics, you know, where is their benefit and where is there not? And there's a lot of evidence that probiotics can be very beneficial for helping us maintain a healthy immune response for our GI tract as well as the respiratory tract. And if, you know, everybody asks what strains, I would encourage you, your listeners. I was about to, yes. Yes. I would encourage your listeners to go to usprobioticguide.com, usprobioticguide.com. This is a website that actually ranks the evidence for the different strains and tells you where the strongest evidence is for what condition. So if you're looking for, you know, preventing a common infectious disease, right? So uh, in a child. Lactobacillus reuteri, right? I mean, it will it will tell you, and it'll also then tell you which brands contain the amounts of those strains. So it can be very, very useful for you and your family if you're trying to find which probiotic or what strain should I use based on what I'm trying to accomplish. U.S. Probiotic Guide is a very good resource for you. That's really helpful, and of course. Gut immunity is important for COVID-19 as well. We think of it as a respiratory tract infection, but there's mounting evidence that it also is very much a digestive tract infection as well. Absolutely. Dr. Lodog, I wonder if there are herbs that you would recommend for people who, again, are trying to keep their immune systems healthy and strong. Well, I think there's a number. I'm still a fan of astragalus. Um, Astragalus comes to us from Chinese medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, where it is highly regarded for the prevention of recurrent respiratory tract infections, right? And we know that it has very good immune modulating and antiviral activity. And interestingly enough, um, back with SARS and MERS and some of the other coronaviruses, Um, There was some basic science data, so not clinical trials, but basic science data showing that astragalus actually had pretty good antiviral activity against some of the avian 
you know, coronavirus. So I really like astragalus. It's a very safe food herb. You could take it as a supplement, but you could also just take the long slivers of root and you can, you know, take an inch or two of the long sliver of root and just put it in your soup. You could throw it in your rice cooker and just let it cook with the rice and then remove it when serving the rice. It has um, a very mild flavor. So it goes very well in soups and rice and stews. So it's a very easy one to kind of add to your diet. What about andrographis? What yeah. about garlic? What about selenium, which is not an herb, but is a mineral? And of course, I'd like to hear about licorice. I'm a big fan of licorice. So andrographis, garlic, licorice, and then maybe something about selenium. Okay. Well, I love andrographis. Um, this is a, a plant that has been used um, in many parts of the world where it grows. It's the leaf um, that it that is used. And it is a very potent anti-inflammatory and analgesic. It can help reduce fever. And it's a potent antiviral. No question. It's a potent antiviral. And sometimes it's combined with an adaptogen called eleuthero. So when you look at the studies, sometimes you'll see andrographis by itself, and sometimes you'll see it in combination with eleuthero. Uh, more than 30 studies definitely shows that it would reduce the duration and severity of both flu and an upper respiratory infection if you start it early, right? As a little side note, I don't want to get too off, but I would just say that andrographis um, is the andrographolides also decrease the activity of something called furin protease in the body. And we know at least in the SARS, uh, in, in, in the COVID and, and other coronaviruses, that the way they attached in your body into the cell is they have a little spike protein. And that spike protein attaches to your human cell, and it that's what allows it to go inside the cell and replicate itself. And we know that the um, andrographolides decrease the activity of this, which may prevent that from entering, it may prevent viral replication in your body. Now, this is very early science. This is not clinical trials. But what I would tell you is that we already know that andrographis has very, is very safe. It's been used for a very long time for respiratory infections, and um, there may be, you know, some particular benefit, um, not just for flus and colds. We may find that it has benefit for coronavirus as well. So I, I'm intrigued by it. Um, how much do you need um, for prophylaxis? Most of the studies, you know, if you were taking it to keep yourself from getting sick, it was about 500 milligrams a couple times a day. And then if you were sick, most of the clinical trials were giving a gram three times a day, like if you were coming down with a cold or respiratory infection. Now, you have to tell me, what else did, were we talking about? Were you talking about licorice? Licorice, licorice was, and garlic. My yeah. two, well, yeah. I won't say they go together particularly well, <laughs> but I love these two flavors. Yeah, garlic. What's not to love about garlic too? You know, garlic's good for... Reducing inflammation in the body, it's beneficial for the cardiovascular system, and it definitely is good for the immune system. Uh, people who eat more garlic, consume more garlic in their diet, definitely have fewer colds, right? Um, I remember 40 years ago when people used to call garlic Russian penicillin, right? And, 
And interestingly enough, our daughter, when she was at the height of her sickness, she was making garlic uh, in honey with vinegar. It's an old recipe of mine that I make, and she made it. And she was taking it, and she said it was the only thing that really like helped her cough this really bad cough that she was having. So I, I, I'm a huge fan of garlic. We know that raw garlic is a little more effective than cooked. However, if you like cooking your garlic, you can still get the benefits if you'll crush your garlic about 10 minutes before you're going to throw it in your skillet, crush it, put it in a little oil, and just let it sit while you do the rest of your prep work for about 10 minutes. That way, garlic is able to undergo all of its enzyme activation that it does. And when you throw it into the skillet, uh, the heat doesn't destroy it. So you can get more bang for your buck with your cooked garlic if you just uh, crush it first and let it sit for about 10 minutes before you heat it. But I'm a huge fan of garlic. Uh, we eat, between Jim and I, we consume about four to five cloves of garlic every day. So a lot of, lot of garlic eaten here. Licorice is another one of my favorite herbs because it has so much benefit for our body, for uh, especially for the immune system and the digestive system. And licorice can help, you know, promote the activity of your T helper cells and it can reduce some of the inflammatory sort of cytokines that, that get released um, during infection. And it has been used, and you probably know this, it was um, studies in China. Uh, this was one of the herbs that they were using uh, for historical um, SARS coronavirus, as well as H1N1 uh, influenza infection. And they believe, at least in the Chinese um, research, they believe that it has benefit, that it's beneficial for flu and for coronavirus infections. And I think, you know, that needs more research, but very fascinating to me. The other thing I would just say is that, that not only can it inhibit viral replication, but one of the things we were very intrigued by with the, the, the COVID-19 was one of the ways that we thought it was um, invading and infecting our cells was through the ACE2 receptor. So Joe, you mentioned ACE inhibitors earlier. The ACE2 receptor, we believe, is one of the uh, pathways by which the coronavirus actually can get into the body. And, and licorice inhibits, um, it blocks the ACE2 receptor. So it's, it's a fascinating plant. I like it in tea. Just I, I drink a small amount of it in teas most days, actually. It's very good for the tummy. It's a good expectorant. The main problem with licorice is just don't take too much for too long because licorice also makes your body pee out potassium and hold sodium. And that means your potassium levels can go down and your blood pressure can go up. So licorice is one you have to be careful with. Now, I want to ask you about an old-fashioned herb. It's called elderberry, and the elderberry bush, it's a big bush, in our yard is blooming right now. I don't think we'll get any berries because the birds get to them a lot quicker than <laughs> we can. Yeah. But elderberry has a a history, a reputation for being good for upper respiratory tract infections. Is there anything to that? Absolutely. We've got its historical use. Uh, the elder flowers were also used as well as the uh, cooked 
you know, elderberry fruit. But when we look at the berries, the research on the berries, both the animal studies and the human studies show that it is very beneficial when taken early in a respiratory infection, including the flu, right? Um, so I, I love elderberry. I recommend it as kind of a tonic even, taking it a few times a week during the cold and flu season, and certainly taking it if you should get sick. Um, there was some concern this year about, uh, I, I saw it on my Facebook page that people were worried that elderberry might cause this cytokine storm, this big, you know, inflammatory response. There was quite a chatter about that. And I would just tell you that this is really highly implausible, that it also is is kind of a misunderstanding of what happens with the cytokine storm. Elderberry is considered very safe. It's safe for children, it's safe for elders, it's safe for adults. The only thing not safe about elder is if you're using the uncooked or unripe, you know, kind of plant parts. But the berries, the commercial preparations that are in the marketplace, I keep a bottle out here at our ranch. I keep elderberry here because I don't want to have to go drive an hour to go get it if I start feeling sick. Um, elderberry is something that I think every family should just keep in the cupboard uh, for for kids and adults alike if they come down with a cold or a respiratory infection or a flu. Dr. Lodog, we've been talking about a lot of supplements, but one we haven't talked about is something called curcumin. Um, it, it's it's known as the, the bright yellow spot spice that everybody loves in India. It's part of our curries. Can you tell us what, if any, health benefits it might have, especially for overall immune health? Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, it is a, it is a potent anti-inflammatory in its own right. And one of the things that it does is it really restores gut integrity. So, Barrier function is everything when it comes to staying healthy. And so when we look at curcumin and turmeric, we're looking very specifically at its ability to maintain good GI barrier function. One of the things that we know, like with the coronavirus, is that it can, uh, it can cause a significant inflammatory reaction, right? Sometimes people call this a cytokine storm, this, 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 you know, where the, the inflama inflammatory part of our body just becomes, you know, overwhelming. And we know that one of the ways that does this is by activating something called the NLRP3 inflammasome. And when we're looking at things that modulate that, Curcumin is one of the big ones, quercetin and green tea also, but these are all inhibitors of this particular pathway. Now, I would just say that, that this doesn't mean that curcumin cures COVID or anything like this, but what I'm saying is that curcumin is something you can easily add to your diet. It's an anti-inflammatory, an, anti an analgesic. It's good for your cholesterol. There's so many beneficial things you get from it, and by adding turmeric to the diet or supplements that are high in curcumin, it may have a particular benefit on being able to protect your GI tract and possibly even your respiratory tract from um, more severe inflammation. I I'm fascinated by it. 
Dr. Lodog, you mentioned quercetin. What can you tell us about quercetin? Well, quercetin, most people are familiar with it because they use it for their allergies, right? It's a mast cell um, stabilizer, um, but it, it also is very useful for helping to um, your body to fight off viruses and inactivate them. And uh, so I, I really like it. Modulating that mast cell, keeping those mast cells stabilized is is important, um, not only for allergies, but also during infectious processes. And, and the risk of taking it is also quite low. Um, I generally recommend 500 to a thousand milligrams twice a day, uh, and safe in everybody except possibly those doses in pregnancy. We just don't have the data on it in pregnancy. In general, we usually suggest that pregnant ladies not take herbs unless they have checked that out with their obstetricians or midwife. Thank you. Now, or or midwife. Absolutely. Absolutely. They just need to check with somebody who's looking out for them, who is in a position to know. Yeah. And breast, and uh, I would, I would extend that also to breastfeeding women um, to, uh, especially when the babies are very small, check with your lactation consultant or your OBGYN or uh, midwife. Good advice. What can you tell us about ashwagandha? You know, I love ashwagandha. It's a wonderful adaptogen. I do. I do. I love, I love ashwagandha. It's an amazing adaptogen that helps our body adapt to stress. Um, and, and stress itself can have, have a negative impact upon the immune system. Ashwagandha, we had a couple recent studies, um, both in normal, healthy adults with sleeping problems and in elders showing that once you take ashwagandha daily for about four weeks, that sleep dramatically improves. So what's one of the things that we know also can impair the immune system, people not getting adequate rest and adequate sleep. So I love ashwagandha. It's a beautiful anti-inflammatory. It's a great herb to help build your resistance. And it's a wonderful adaptogen to help your body become more resilient. I think adaptogens actually may be the core during the cold and flu season. They're more broad activity about keeping us more resilient in general might be one of the most important things we can do. Well, I have an interesting story to share with you. Our uh, webmaster designer developer is in Rome. And as you know, Italy has been hard hit by the coronavirus. And I, I think he was feeling under a lot of stress. He was only getting about three to four hours of sleep a night for you know a couple of weeks. And we said, well, you know, we've heard about this thing, this ashwagandha herb. I mean, why don't you give it a try? And the next time we talked to him, he said, oh my goodness, that ashwagandha was fantastic. I'm Now I'm getting six to eight hours of sleep a night. It's really made a difference. So um, you don't have to be an old person to be happy with ashwagandha. No, the studies were done both in just uh, normal, healthy adults. And then there was a study done also in elders. And I think what was so nice about this is that, you know, a lot of people just think melatonin or valerian, and then it doesn't work. And ashwagandha has nice data for uh, reducing, you know, cortisol levels uh, during uh, long-term and acute stress. And, and it also now has been shown in two clinical trials to improve sleep. And 
I just, I love ashwagandha. And I think that, you know, I used to say it was the 21st century herb. And, and I think that it's, I think it is. I think it's one that many, many people would benefit from. And it has a very, very good safety profile. So I, I love ashwagandha. Take it myself. Dr. Lodog, you mentioned your Facebook page. I, I wonder if people wanted to follow you, if they wanted to keep up with what you're doing, uh, maybe subscribe to your newsletter or find your, your web page. How do they do that? Well, thank you. It's just drlodog.com is our website. And uh, you can come here and see our blogs, drlodog.com. And then uh, you can also follow us on Facebook. Uh, we have a very active um, Facebook community. And um, if you come to our website, uh, we're happy to send you a newsletter. We don't spam anybody. So uh, we would love for you to sign up and be part of our community. Um, we're really just about trying to provide people with uh, information so that they can make better health choices um, and also some inspiration because I think that, um, you know, I, I'm a big one for breath work. And I remembered when I realized that that inspiration comes from the word inspire to breathe in and to breathe in, um, take that deep breath and to feel that um, that deep meaning in life. And so I think we give a, we keep a blend of all of that herbs and supplements and more. So please come join us, join our community. Dr. Logdog, in summary, what is your advice for our listeners on how they can stay healthy during these very difficult times? Well, I would say that all of the things that you've ever known about being healthy uh, haven't changed. You know washing your hands, getting plenty of sleep, managing your stress, making sure that you're focusing on nutrition that will provide the nutrients that you need. Taking a multivitamin may be important. Getting outside uh, some fresh sunshine, making sure that you are taking care of your mental health because when you're depressed, that also depresses the immune system, right? So the center still holds. All the things that we've always believed about good health um, haven't changed. This has been a very trying time for many, many people. But hold fast to the things that nourish you, both physically, spiritually, and emotionally, and uh, you're going to get through this. And I hope that we gave you some information today around nutrients, vitamins, and herbs that also may, that you could go learn more about that may be able to help you and your family stay healthy. Dr. Tirone Lodog, thank you so very much for all the information you've shared with us on the People's Pharmacy today. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr. Tirone Lodog. She's an internationally recognized expert in the fields of integrative medicine, dietary supplements, herbal medicine, and women's health. She served as the elected chair of the U.S. Pharmacopeia Dietary Supplements and Botanicals Expert Information Panel. Her latest book is Fortify Your Life, Your Guide to Vitamins, Minerals, and More. You can learn more at her website, drlodog.com. Lynn Siegel produced today's show, Al Wadarski engineered, Dave Graydon edits our interviews. The Peebles Pharmacy is produced at the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. This week's show was recorded in our home studio. The Peebles Pharmacy theme music is by B.J. Lederman. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Coco Via, 
offering plant-based nutrients in the form of cocoflavanols for brain and heart health. Online at cocovia.com. Also by Kaya Biotics, probiotic products made in Germany from certified organic ingredients, K-A-Y-A Biotics.com. If you'd like to buy a CD of today's show or any other People's Pharmacy episode, you can call 800-732-2334. Today's show is number 1,217. That number, 800 732 2334. Find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. When you visit our site, you can share your thoughts about today's show. You can also subscribe to the podcast. Our conversation with Dr. Lodog wouldn't all fit in today's show, but we've put it in the podcast. You'll learn about curcumin, quercetin, and ashwagandha when you listen. When you visit the website, you can learn how to spell the herbs and supplements that we discussed today. You could also sign up for our free online newsletter and get the latest news about COVID-19 and other important health stories. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.